So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, lords, ladies, royals, serfs. That's a new one for you. Mm. Gays, straights, cats, dogs, whites, blacks, midgets, normals, alcoholics, and everything in between. I am Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. And with talent on loan from God, I bring you season two. Episode 8 of the world-famous So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. How are you, my love? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I am just lucky to be married to you. What's the punchline? There isn't one, darling. I'm just lucky and blessed and fulfilled. You made a purchase you weren't supposed to? I mean, without question, yes. That that goes without saying. No more than normal, though. But, uh, you know, you complete me, my love. Oh, that's really sweet. Nobody fucking cares what you think. I actually have felt that recently. Not that no one cares what I think. I do feel that sometimes, but... Um, Which is true. Yeah, well, you don't. I wish you operated your life more from that standpoint on a daily basis. It, maybe I don't care if people don't care what I think. You should. <laughs> I thought that was part of this. I mean, it is. Okay. No, I feel like you've been very... I don't know. You're turning over a new leaf. There's been some progress in your behavior, attitude. Well, I think there has for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about this on a, a, well, not necessarily a daily basis, but the whole point of this podcast is we were in a rut in our marriage. And instead of going and paying a therapist $100 a week, I took that money and spent that upfront in normal Chris fashion. And I built you this amazing Taj Mahal of a studio. And uh, I think our relationship has grown markedly since then, no? Oh, absolutely. And I am about, you know, halfway to uh, purchasing the SS Megan. (laughs) So while I still need you for the health insurance, I am uh, 50% away from cutting ties from you forever. Nice, honey. That's special. I got you, boo. (sighs) I am here for you. You know that grates on me, right? What? Like your, um, you know, divorce jokes, you're trading me in jokes. I don't like those. Well, we all have to get traded in at some point. Not necessarily, no. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, and again, we've talked about this before on the podcast. You are not a huge fan of the way that I speak to you. At times. you know, most of the general public. (laughs) I am not a fan of, you know, the piles of shit everywhere. So, like, we all have our crosses to bear, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of them either because it's bird that's leaving them everywhere. Well, those are literal piles of shit. Literally. I was speaking more of the proverbial piles of shit. I'm not getting into this right now. I think that's a good idea. Okay, let's move on. Where would you like to go instead? After the podcast. Yeah. I would like to thank the sponsors. The studio sponsor is Marlane Graphics, marlanegraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And Realtor and a Baby, realtorandababy.com for all of your real estate needs. Shall we PSA, my love? Depends what it is. Oh, 
This one you may be interested in. I'm ready. We are taking the So I Married an Alcoholic podcast, excuse me, the world-famous So I Married an Alcoholic podcast on the road next week. And for you left-lane drivers, actually, let me back up for a brief moment. I am pleased to announce that we have a PSA sponsor. We do? This PSA is brought to you by Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes. Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes for all of your sick fuck needs. I don't think that's actually a thing. Look it up. I don't think you got his approval. I think that there is a whole genre of our society I think that you're... enjoys a fetish or two. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I think you're just mad because you wanted him to call in tonight, but we don't record till 930. And... and Auntie Gay P has wrapped up the fetishing for the evening. Yeah, he's snug as a bug in his bed already yes. asleep. Night, night, Auntie Gay P. Makes me sad, but yes. Good night, my dear Auntie Gay P. <laughs> We're taking the podcast on the road. Left lane drivers, the left lane is for illegal shit. And that concludes our PSA for this evening. Don't forget, your PSAs are brought to you by Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes. Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes for all of your fetish needs. Now... The real meat and potatoes of the show. What would you like to talk about, my love? Let's talk about a hot alcoholic topic. Mm. We've said this before that in AA there's a ton of catchphrases. Sure are. I'm going to butcher it because I always do. Mm. Um, But one of the big ones out there is one is too many and... A thousand, a million, a hundred, a bazillion is never enough. I mean, yes, you did fuck that up. However, I believe all of those numbers are incredibly accurate. I think they all qualify. Yes, for sure. And I think what that really, you know, ties into is I think it goes hand in hand with sort of the phenomenon of craving is what they call it, right? Yeah. So once that first you know, sip of alcohol, that first hit of a drug, whatever it is, in alcoholics, once you consume that, you have quite literally flipped the switch. And I have talked about, you know, some of my own personal stories before, and they all pretty much start and end the same way. You know, a sip of a beer leads to, you know, passing out drunk on the floor somewhere. Yeah. A Percocet leads to... Well, I mean, you know, robbing a bank. Um, You know, there's just, for me, there is no off switch. And I think, like, the, the real essence of that saying, if you will, is that if you consume that first one, X amount is never going to do the trick, right? Yeah, there is no one in our world. Not anymore. Yeah. Was there ever a one for you? Well, I was going to say, unfortunately, we had to learn the hard way, right? Oh, yeah, because every time you try. I think in my infancy of alcohol and drug abuse, there probably was a one, maybe a two, and then I had that off switch. Did you? Once I realized that the alcohol, the drugs was the prescription for whatever I was dealing with, that's when there was no off switch. Once I learned that that substance was going to be the solution for 
all of whatever's I was going through, that's when there, you know, became no end. See, and I think for me, it was a rare occasion, even in the early days, that there was just a one. If I was going to have a drink, I was going to get tanked Mm -hmm. every single time. I think when I say, you know, in the early days, I'm talking about like probably the first time or two that I drank. There's such a physical component to it, too. Like it's such an emotional and mental disease. Mm -hmm. uh, But there really is a physical component to it. I mean, that first sip, that obsession takes over. At least for me, there is absolutely no turning back. I agree, which is why, you know, people like you and me and the thousands of other people or hundreds of thousands of other people out there that are literally lucky enough to call themselves an alcoholic or or an addict because they have found the solution. You know, unfortunately, it takes some sort of monumental event to learn that. Yeah. And I, I, at least for me, I didn't want to learn that because I did not want to stop drinking. Does that make sense? Like I knew that, but I would wake up the next day and think, okay, this time I can just have two glasses of wine like everyone else. That So that totally makes sense to me, absolutely. But I can say from a personal experiential standpoint, like I knew that I could, there was no solution. Like I needed help. It wasn't something that I could ever control. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I knew that deep down too, but I just, I didn't want to believe it. Does that make sense? I think that's a struggle that a lot of people that have found their way into the program felt or still feel. You know what's so interesting when we talk about our addiction? Like our addiction is different, right? Because different substances. Yes. But a lot of it is the same. But then sometimes when we talk about it, I think, you know, it just goes to prove that everyone's journey is unique. Although there's common threads that tie us all together. Mm -hmm. Some of those same feelings, the same habits, the same behaviors, um, the negative things that go along with it. I think that you know, everyone's journey is a little bit different, you know, like you have often said that you knew early on you were an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. And I was not in that same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. And I think for normal people, it's a really hard phenomenon to understand. I think that, you know, again, I, th- I think you knew that you were an alcoholic. I think that, you know, the parallel between the two of us and again, the, the tens of thousands of people out there is that takes you a long time to admit it. Oh, absolutely. The the one of the most beautiful gifts I think of this program is figuring out very early on in your drinking or your alcohol usage or your addiction is to find that solution and the solution being AA before you end up in some sort of you know, legal trouble, familial trouble, relationship trouble, that occupational trouble that you oftentimes cannot recover from. Like we've talked about it, I think a long time ago on the show, how that I think one of the most amazing things is seeing some of these 18, 19, 20 year old kids that walk into the rooms and they're like, hey, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. And like you could tell, like they're emotional about that. But again, I think that that is one of the greatest gifts of this program is to figure that out early on before you really 
you know, fuck things up beyond recognition. Like at 18, 19, 20 years old, there's a ton of life or a ton of things that you can rebound from that you still have the opportunity to do at our age, but it's not nearly as easy. No, much harder. Like you are way more resilient as a 20-year-old than you are as a, you know, 41-year-old man who got trapped and, you know, is now balding. I am always like in awe of those people that can come in and say that at 18, 19, 20 years old. Oh, yeah. To have that self-awareness or that sort of conviction back then. Because isn't everyone drinking like that? I would think so. No, that's the. I think that's the answer. <laughs> like to be able to figure that out. You know, I think I've said this before, like my drinking really started and escalated in college, but it was okay. You can blend in in college because everyone drinks like that. Right. But when I look back in retrospect, everyone actually didn't drink the way I drank. Not everyone blacked out every single time they drank. Mm. Not everyone wet their bed. You know, like there's like so many things that are not normal drinking. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it's, you know, quote unquote normal to be a college student that drinks too much on a Friday night. Speaking of wetting the bed, I have an interesting story for you. Ooh. So I am upstairs today taking a shower. Okay. And I am, you know, caressing my beautiful locks as I often do. With your new shampoo. With my new fancy shampoo. That's probably just going to like make my asshole hair grow at an unreasonable <laughs> pace. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm like, oh, no, I got to fart. So I go to fart and I shit in the shower. Are you serious? Uh-huh. That's an overshare for your wife, for our audience. I, we do honesty. You took a gamble and lost. I did. <laughs> I did not know when to hold them or fold them. <laughs> I just shit in the shower. That is a terrible story. Shitty. Yeah, literally. Shitty. Like my car. Like your car. Like the shower basin. Yeah, okay. So let's move on. Oh, perfect. I have another asshole story for you. All right. So I'm going to get my teeth cleaned on Tuesday morning, and then I'm going to get my asshole bleached shortly after that. All right. Where are you going for that? I'm not allowed to disclose the location. And why would you need that? Because I don't actually understand a, the point of that. Who's the the governing authority of your medical license? Like the state? Yeah, the state does not sanction this particular asshole bleaching. You know what the thing is about? I don't understand who's looking that closely at your asshole that it needs to be a different color. And why? Nobody, but as anybody out there who has an Italian grandmother... They will appreciate this story. My grandmother, no matter what condition or shape that I was in, she always told me, you leave the house with a clean pair of underwear. No, that's true. You don't want them to identify your body in dirty drawers. Yeah, like something happens, you know, I'm a world famous podcaster, but I won't be the, the ambulance that comes and picks me up isn't going to be like, oh shit, there's Chris, the podcaster. They're going to be like... Oh, that's the kid who shit in the shower yesterday morning. I actually believe that no matter what state you were in, you did always have clean underwear on. Of course. Yeah. And now I have fancy ball spray as well. I know. It's so weird. Anywho. Okay. More asshole talk. So a couple of weeks ago, this has been happening, you know, on and off, I think for a couple of years now. But every now and then when I am sleeping and I'm not farting on Megan, I am aroused from my slumber. By the most horrific pain in my bum bum. 
It's terrible. Normally, I just go in, you know, the water closet and I smoke a delicious Newport and I watch, you know, 30, 45 minutes of TikTok and just let my butthole relax. And the pain goes away. A couple weeks ago, however, I was up for like two hours pacing around the house. It was not good. So anyways, I am an addict. Now, Megan, you may know, you may not know. Do you know what is above the sink in the cabinets in the kitchen? Bottles and medicine? Yes. Okay. Do you know what kind of medicine? Like mucinex and ibuprofen? I believe that is included <laughs> in the medicine. Yes, thank some, you. Some Tums? Like, it's not that exciting. Thank you. Did you also know there was a couple of Percocet up there? Oh, I thought I got rid of them. No, you did not. Oh, that was for my surgery. Yeah, it was also for my asshole. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I'm walking around and I'm pacing in the kitchen, and I am 100% a grade A pussy. When it comes to pain. Like, I, I don't know anybody that, like, really thrives on pain. Although I did know this one girl a couple years ago with, like, nipple rings and stuff like that. But that's neither here nor there. So I'm pacing around the kitchen. And I'm like, ah, Tylenol's not going to work for this bad boy. And Chris can't take ibuprofen. He... I cannot. I am allergic to ibuprofen or NSAIDs or... Yeah, which is really unfortunate if you're an addict. Yeah, because that leaves you with quite literally, pack. yeah, no options. Yep. A frozen bag of peas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thank God you didn't have to birth Frankie. Yeah, thank God. So I'm literally like pacing around the kitchen in an incredible amount of pain. And I thought about those two Percocet. Have you been thinking about them? Like you knew they were up there? I mean, I knew they were up there just from like, you know, getting Frankie some Tylenol or something like that. Never, ever crossed my mind. Oh, that's crazy. That thought, those would be consumable at some point. I thought I got rid of them and only held on to the, t like, Tordal that was up there. I didn't even know there was Tordal up there. Yeah, but you can't have it. It's an NSAID. And you probably can't snort it anyway, so it's I mean, really it, not in my boat. It'd probably burn like hell, but do you. Yeah, mo most things, I don't know if you knew <laughs> this, but most things you put up your nose, burn. <laughs> I didn't know that, but go on. Well, now you know. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Pacing around the kitchen, I'm like, ah. Oh. I could take a couple of those Percocet. Nobody will ever know. I can go back to bed. I will no longer be in pain. I'll wake up. Tomorrow's a new day. Don't have to worry about it ever again. And do you want to know why I didn't take them? First of all, I threw them away. I was just going to say, are they still there? No, I literally flushed them down the toilet because I was like, this is, I knew that I was traveling down a bad road. Mm-hmm. And I am, again, one is too many, thousand is never enough. I was like, I'll take those two Percocet, and then it, it won't be enough. No, and you had a closing coming up, so there'd be extra cash. Well, I mean, that didn't even really play into it. I just knew that, like, if I took those two Percocet, I think the course of my life, quite literally, would have been forever altered. Because I don't think there was any coming back from it. I'm not a two Percocet kind of guy. I'm like a, you know, we're trading in the car kind of guy. Like, we're, we're going to go get a whole factory of Percocet. A pallet, if you will. So, anywho, I threw them away. But the reason I didn't take them was because I was like, why the fuck would I take two Percocet and go to bed? Like, I'm not even going to be able to feel them. Like, I want to take two Percocet and sit on the couch and watch, like, 
lions chase gazelles for a couple hours and melt myself into that couch and smoke Newports and burn holes in the couch and all of the fun shit that goes along with getting high. And I made, thank God, the right decision to flush him down because I knew that that was just, again, a road that I was not going to be able to do a U-turn on and come back to real life, you know? So a couple things. Yeah. I can't believe you didn't tell me about this till right now. Yeah, fuck. I forgot I wasn't supposed to surprise you on the podcast with things. I know. Well, I mean, you know, you've been working a lot lately. We all know how you work 600 hours a week. I didn't want to bother you with my little shit. Is that why you've been kind? No. Oh, there's something bigger brewing. No, but I... Yeah, halfway to the yacht and financially tied to your vehicle. I um I don't know. I think it bothers me that you didn't tell me. Like I know it's not about me. But like to me that says you flush those two Percocet, but waiting the two weeks to fess up about it, that thought was still somewhere in the back of your mind. Those two are gone. But like to me it's like you didn't close the door all the way. I mean, I would like to think that I closed the door all the way personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it something that I struggled with not telling you? Yeah, absolutely. Did you tell anyone else? I did. I called my peoples. Okay. Then I think it's okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. So I love Megan to death. And this is kind of like a bullshit excuse, but you know, an excuse nonetheless. Megan worries about shit that normal people should not worry about. So I think that's true. I think you diving through the medicine cabinet to grab Percocet out is something to worry about. I wouldn't really call it diving. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't like digging through your sock drawer hoping there was a little opiate hanging around in there. You probably had to get up on a step ladder. We're not tall people. We are not tall people. (laughs) But I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. That is something that I should have shared with you. I don't necessarily think I knew, again, this is my little safe space down here, how to like just, because you know me, that's something I would totally say in passing. You're like, oh, Mac's going to be at basketball practice at eight o'clock. And I'd be like, all right, cool. Um, I almost took some Percocet today. Have a good night. Love you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's how I roll. Yeah, no, I totally get that. If we're being completely honest in this room, because we're honest in this room or whatever, we should be honest always, but, you know, we're Mm. better at it in this room. I get that because I think that cravings or wants or thoughts do creep in more often than, I mean, that was a more of a real temptation because there was two Percocets sitting there, but there's always a liquor store on the way home. And Percocet may be your jam, but you also are an alcoholic at heart. So, you know, I I can speak only for myself, but yes, there are days where the thought crosses my mind and I don't call you about it every single time. And you want to know what's fucked up is that I love opiates. I know. See, they don't do it for me. I fucking love opiates. I don't ever, I'm not going to say I haven't ever thought about them. But I cannot tell you the last time, and again, we're, you know, trucking on 
damn near four and a half years, if not four and a half years of sobriety, couldn't even tell you the last time that I was like, ooh, a Percocet's a good idea. And over the past two years or more than two years, or, or no, I guess exactly two years, I've actually been on opiates prescribed a couple times when I did have the serious herd asshole. Yes. When I had surgery. And then again, when I had my C-section. Absolutely. And there were way more than two Percocets in this house. And let me tell you something. Even then, that couple of years ago, it never crossed my mind that like I could literally take a couple of those and not, or you know, you would not notice. Well, because I would have noticed. Because I think the one night I went to get one out and you're like, do you have that buried in a drawer somewhere? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like it's just right next to me. Welcome to being married to a junkie. In my nightstand. And it may do a narc count every night. I'm not sure. <laughs> but because um, I do not feel that way about opiates. When I had my mm. surgery, when I had the pain, I took an appropriate prescribed amount. Actually, probably less. Mm -hmm. then I would need, I'd rather have an ibuprofen. I know that's not an option for you. Um, but I don't like the way they make me feel. They make my stomach upset. I live a life every day afraid not to poop. So an opiate to me is like the worst thing I could ever imagine. That's actually half the fun of taking the opiates. <laughs> no, not fun. That's how I had to get the opiates to begin with. So like I would not travel down that road. Um, it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I could have gotten into it at some point along the way, but it just, I don't think of those medicines like that. Mm. So I actually feel horrible that two were still in there. I thought I disposed of those long ago. Well, again, you know, as one listener pointed out several weeks ago, if you were a real doctor, you probably would have known that they were in there. Yeah, no, I didn't because I'm not looking for them. But since you're not, they were. You know what's interesting? Mac actually said to me the other day because the cabinet above the uh, microwave must have been open. Mm -hmm. He's like, Mom, what is that in that cabinet above there? Is that oil? No, not really. And I was like, no, like we have a cooking wine up there and like uh, other like cooking alcohol or something like um a little brandy yeah yeah because again chris is like a, a serious chef and i i think a lot of alcoholics and i think that's probably the right decision don't even cook with alcohol we mm. we do i mean the alcohol cooks away it that a shrimp scampi doesn't trigger me you know what i mean right. um that's me personally i'm not speaking for anyone else i think if you cut all of that out that's probably the best way to live but you know, we don't. And like you could see the anxiety in his face. Like, why is that in our house? Yes. I know where that goes for you. Right. And again, we do not hide things from Mac. No. Uh, Megan's son is well aware that we are both in recovery, that we are both alcoholics and sort of. And I say sort of because like I don't think we need to overshare with the 11 year old i'm sure there's going to come a point in his life where you know we do share some of our stories and maybe provide that insight if you will into the dangers of alcohol and i'm not saying that like mac's not going to be allowed to drink that's not how we roll you know again i think it is important that you know we at least like any parent out there 
has that conversation about what it is to be a responsible consumer of alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, I actually had a little conversation with him about it today. We were at my parents' house, like, you know, cleaning out some spaces. Just, you know, they're retired now. So to just, you know. A little spring cleaning, if you will. Declutter. Anyway, um, one of the things we found, and it was like hilarious, was a black backpack. It was actually, so if you're going to tell the story, like tell it right, you were upstairs on the couch napping, and Chris was literally hauling piles of shit while Megan was, you know. Watching the children. Eating various exotic cheeses and whatnot. There was a lot of cheese involved. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, Chris, old Chrissy Poo, found apparently the remnants of a late 90s party yes <laughs> probably early 2000s because it was definitely jimmy early's and like total private school kids right like someone obviously brought the north face backpack and left their bottle empty bottle of smirnoff vodka in it right and this is how you know it was a uh, you know relatively new or poor drinker Nobody's drinking Smirnoff because it tastes good. You're <laughs> drinking Smirnoff because it's economical. Smirnoff was like an upgrade back in the day. Because it's cheap. Because the bum on the corner that you pay $20 to go and get your Mr. Boston handle of vodka knows precisely where that is located. Yeah. They do not know where the Grey Goose is. No. So anyway, we were, yeah, exactly. So anyway, we were laughing about it just because like, oh, who's going to own it? You know, blah, 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 joking around. And so Mac was listening and he's like, well, whose was it? And I was like, I don't know. probably one of Uncle Jimmy's friends or whatever. Then we started talking about having parties at our parents' house growing up. Mm. And I said, funny enough, I'm the alcoholic, but yet I never threw a party at my parents' house. I didn't have drinks after they went to bed. I was... In that sense, an oldest child, in that that was a rule I wasn't going to break. And that's kind of funny because it was the complete opposite in my house mm-hmm. growing up. Rick was always the one throwing the parties and having the friends over and things. I was always the one that got in trouble for it. Well, probably deserved because Rick probably had a beer and a half during the party. Yeah, and that's actually where the 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 accent was born. I was going to say you were the one swinging from the chandelier. So um, anyway, Mac and I did have a little conversation about it because he's like, "Well, why were they drinking at Mimi and Pop's house? Like, they weren't were they old enough?" And I was like, "No, they were probably 16. And Mac's like, "Why would they do that?" And I was like, "Because high school kids drink." Because that's what you do. And he's like, "Well, I won't." I was like, "I guarantee you, you probably will." I assure you, you will. Um, I was like, but I will say to you, like, don't have the party at our house. I was like, your parents can get sued. We don't have the we don't have the reserves to get sued, bud. Yeah, no, we were probably the last generation growing up where there are no legal responsibilities for the parental hosts. Even, I mean, I know stories of 15 years ago or so, something like that, where the parents were like out of town. And had absolutely no idea that there was a raging party being thrown at their house. And they still can get sued. And you can get fined. Yes. This was a big thing that started happening, I think, about when I was in college. So my brother and sister were in high school. And there was like a big case at the public school that a party got busted again. The parents weren't there. And they got fined like a significant amount of money, like maybe like $2,000 for every kid that was there. 
or some ridiculous amount of money, like tens of thousands of dollars. That's crazy. It is crazy. So that is also one of the reasons that I never threw the party. I said to Max, so never throw the party at our house. I was like, you'll go to the party though. I know you will. And that's okay. As you should. You will call me for a ride home. Mm -hmm. That is the deal. Yes. You know, there will be no punishment if you call me and say, hey mom, I was drinking. I don't have a ride home from someone that hasn't been. A hundred percent, I will pick you up. So don't throw the party and never get behind the wheel. Yeah. That's it. No no punishment if you do those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we do talk to our kids on a daily basis about it, I would say. Or not a daily basis, but whenever it comes up, we don't shy away from it. No. And and I think that that is obviously a good thing. Uh, I also think it's sort of the responsible thing to do, right? Because again, yeah. like I, I'm never going to tell Mac or Frankie not to drink. I think you all, everybody out there needs to forge their own path. I think, unfortunately, also, this may sound a little bit callous, but you do need to make mistakes. You do need to, you know, suffer consequences of things to a certain extent. Like, if they're preventable, that's one thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that you almost need to learn lessons the hard way. And this goes for drinking, you know, career, uh, reckless driving, whatever the case may be, because nobody's nobody learns things like, don't do that again. Okay. You know, you learn things through consequences, right? No, I agree with that. Um, I think, though, too, like we've talked about this before, that we are also up front. Like your parents have substance abuse. There is a genetic link. You are at a higher risk than your friend sitting next to you in a classroom that or, you know, someone that's at that party with you. Mm-hmm. You are at a higher risk of having a, a, an, an issue with drugs or alcohol. Right. Um, so I think that's important to you to put out there. I agree with that. Anyway, let's go back to your Percocet. What else do you want to talk about? All right. So you did not do it. You did flush it. Correct. What were your immediate feelings during it after the flush? I mean, were you not listening? No, I was. But like, uh, no, I was. But are you sure? I was listening. I don't know if you delved into all of that. I think you said why you didn't do it. Right. I think that was probably a very practical decision. Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the emotion behind it? Like, how did that make you feel to have that craving, that want, that... Oh, terrible. Yeah. It, I, again, if we're going to be completely honest, I don't think that I have been... Oh, do I dare say that vulnerable in that sense in a long time? And it felt horrible. I was going to say, it must have felt terrifying, too, to be Absolutely. five years out and know you can still be that close. Yeah, and it didn't, it, I I wasn't, I mean, again, looking back on it, I don't think that I was ever like, ooh, I almost have five years, I can throw this away right now. No, it was more of a, like, I knew that if I threw those Percocets down the hatch, that was something that I was never going to be able to recover from. You know, it wasn't going to be like an oopsie, sorry. Like, even worst case scenario, if I went back out using tomorrow, if I had to go to a 30-day program again, that would be, and, and I hate to say it like this, like, super inconvenient for our immediate family. But also, I think, catastrophic for my career, mm-hmm. you know, in just the, the trickle down, I think, would be endless. 
Not to mention, and again, I'll speak for myself here. I don't know if that's something that you and I would be able to recover from. Because again, I'm not a weekend user. Right. Like I would have, and this is super selfish and going to sound absolutely horrible, but if I were to go back out, like I would pack my bags and you'd probably never hear from me again. And that's a hard reality of this disease. No, it's terrifying for me. Right? Yeah. So. And then, you know, it's been two weeks that you sat on it without telling me. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I mean, I probably not as bad as you want me to say. No. Do I feel guilty over it? Yeah, absolutely. Because no. I think that we share everything. I just don't think that, I mean, A, yes, I obviously wanted to play it down. I think that's you know, a a portion of that. I also don't, in the grand scheme of things, I was like, well, I didn't use, so it's okay. I reached out to my people. I talked who I need to talk to. I don't want to bother Megan with this bullshit. And that may have been a fatal mistake (laughs) on my part, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about it in in my little safe space down here. Mm. And where are you now with it, honey? You know, I'm, I'm... I think okay in the sense that, you know, I know that I made the right decision after actually having, you know, broadcast this to the world. I do feel some sort of way about not telling you. And I'm sure that that's going to come up in, you know, some random conversation weeks, days, months from now, whatever it may be. And that's okay. So I'm not actually angry that you didn't tell me. Like, that's not what I feel at all. It's coming, though. No, it's not. You make this shit up because you don't listen to how I feel. But I'm not actually I'm not angry about it at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, I feel guilty that I'm not like not the first person. Like I think the first person is to go to your people or whatever. But that that didn't feel safe or comfortable or whatever to you. I, I, I wouldn't say safe or comfortable or anything like that. I just don't think that. It rose to the level that, you know, like it was a one-time thing. It was a one-and-done, you know, and I moved on from it. But is it a one-and-done? I mean, it was a one-and-done because there's no longer two Percocets sitting in our medicine cabinet. Well, yeah. I mean, I could jump in the car right now and go to Kensington if I really wanted to. Right, exactly. That's what I mean. Your addiction's not (laughs) one-and-done. Like, that's a lifelong battle. No, absolutely. That particular event, though, was obviously... You know, one and done. I, I guess until, like, my asshole starts throbbing again in the middle of the evening. Yeah. I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. You know what I think bothers me a little bit about, uh, like, you say, like, it would be irredeemable or whatever? I don't feel that way. I, I know you would pack your shit and go and, like, go on your merry way through whatever it would be that you would go through. Mm-hmm. Um, But I, I don't feel that way if... You then made the decision to be sober again. Like, I would support you through that, and I could bounce back from that. Even though I know those days, weeks, months, however long it would be, would be absolutely devastating to our immediate family. Physically, emotionally, I know I'd be, you know, a a whole whole range of feelings during that. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't feel that way, and I think... That bothers me a little bit because I think that almost in a sense, you're saying like if you went back out or whatever, you'd be like, well, I ruined this. 
and that's the end of it. Yeah, fuck it. So that bothers Damage done, me. I'm going to move on. Yes, because I don't feel that way about our relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's an option for us. You know, if you went back out and didn't come back, like, in to sobriety, then yes. You know, we'd wish you well and pray for you and, you know, send you on your merry way. Mm-hmm. But if you did make that decision, I, I think that you're... I almost want to say guilt or pride. I don't know what it would be that you wouldn't look back. You know, I think that's hard. Yeah, I would say it's probably a little bit of both guilt and pride and ego and, you know, whatever word you want to throw in there that I would be like, well, damage done. Not coming back from that. See ya. Yeah. And I think as your wife, that's hard to hear. Mm -hmm. That's the part that bothers me. Okay. Just because I don't, some days I'm not sure that you understand that. Does that make sense? That we're in this good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Oh, no, no, no. Like, I totally understand that. It is, as a matter of fact, like, I think, you know, over the past couple of years that we've been together, we have been through some, I don't want to say insurmountable things together as a couple, but I mean, we have not at all taken the easy road, so to speak. No, that wouldn't be in our nature. No. Again, nobody learns things the easy way, no. right? No. I mean, I... Like, if you went out, I, I I would say the same thing that you just said. Like, I'm here to support you. Let's get you some help. Let's do what we have to do to get back on the road together. And let's do the damn thing. But I think when it comes to me... I would, uh, first of all, I hope that that never happens, obviously. Second of all, again, I think I'm the kind of person that, like, you know, I, I would make that unilateral decision that, like, I have done so much damage, it's too late to go back. It's never too late to go back, right? Right. I think that's the take-home message. Like, we destroyed our lives and people's lives around us for so long, and there may be some relationships that aren't repairable, but husband and wife that are truly connected i think that if there's willingness on both parts that's also repairable just like a parent and a child Mm -hmm. you know like there's nothing that mac and frankie could do that if they did better wouldn't make me take them back with open arms does that make sense yes of course like of course with consequences you know all those things but like there's nothing that they could do that would ever make me stop loving them and of as course. corny as that sounds, I feel the same way about you. So that's the only part I'm pissed about. Not pissed. My feelings are hurt. But I'm going to move on from it. Well, again, call your doctor. <laughs> Tell them I hurt your feelings and see if they can dig those fucking Percocet out of the sewage plant down the street. Well, now that we've overshared for the evening, I hope we have imparted on you some profound alcoholic wisdom. I hope that, like this episode and every other episode that we've done, makes you stop and think about things for a little bit and make some better life decisions. And tell someone if you're struggling. Always phone a friend. Super important. And maybe tell your wife next time. Overrated. (laughs) Anything else, my love? No, I guess that's it. Ooh, I got one more thing. Oh? We forgot to request the peddlers. Ah. We need peddlers. We need peddlers teamfoster.org june 4th and 5th at lincoln financial field if you go to teamfoster.org click on the link that says sign up for the rough ride you could search for the so i married an alcoholic team we are looking for about 75 to 
1,000 peddlers. <laughs> so we only have to pedal a combined... 38 seconds. That's what I'm hoping for. That's my stamina on the exercise machine as well as on Mrs. Pilates. We do promise to provide entertainment, though, for 24 hours. I mean, I hear they have entertaining events happening at the actual Rough Ride. We will have our own corner of inappropriate entertainment. Absolutely. As always. So sign up. Join Team So I Married an Alcoholic and support the Rough Ride. And if you're not into pedaling, you can just donate. And yeah. we will hire peddlers. That's a good idea. Right? I know. We're not paying you, though. We're almost there. We'll like, give you. A, we're almost at that point. We'll give you an Auntie, I Love Auntie Gay P t-shirt. Yeah, that's really all you're getting. Yes. That's good enough. And a $25 gift certificate for an asshole bleaching. I would think that costs more than that. I'm just guessing. It does. I'm not covering the whole cost. <laughs> this is a quid pro quo type deal. You pedal, I pay for a portion of your asshole bleaching. I get a Brazilian wax every month. You know, whatever. Overshare, I guess, here. Certainly. I always overtip those people. Yeah, I would too. You know, tip your server at least 20%. Tip the woman that dribbles hot wax and rips it off your vagina like a good 40 to 50 percent i agree with that wholeheartedly that's good advice from the so i married an alcoholic team tip your vagina waxers definitely i like it all right now do you have anything else honey i, I, I think that's a great way to end the show <laughs> it's a good life lesson certainly is say good night darling good night i'm megan and i'm an alcoholic i'm chris i'm an alcoholic cut off your pets privates and please if you are struggling in any way put your hand up Reach out, ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.